0: Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Aisa. Uh, And this week, we'll be talking about our favorite Chinese language films. In fact, (laughs) we'll be talking about it because it's um, a a sort of Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year special episode that we we have going on here. It's been a week since uh, Chinese New Year, of course, but... You know it being a two week celebration, we figured, oh, why not jump into uh the, our favorite Chinese films, considering mm-hmm. it is one third of the world's population <laughs> yeah. uh some of the biggest blockbusters in the world uh are not from Hollywood, in fact, they're actually from china mm-hmm. um but the the movies we' talking we're going to be talking about are not what we would say blockbusters uh, well, well, with well the exception of one with the exception with of the exception
1: one, of one it became a blockbuster. Yeah, um, But I don't know if you could consider it a blockbuster. It was the first of its kind, more or less. Um, Pretty
0: much, yeah. So uh, we'll begin with Wong Ka-wai's magnum opus, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> um, one of his most uh, beloved films called In the Mood for Love. Yep. A ravishingly moody introduction to Wong Kar wais very sensual, very visual style, of course, which has since been... Um, not, not say sequel, uh, they're, they're thematic sequels in Chunking Express in 2046, you know. Mm, yeah. uh, but In the Mood for Love was, I think, uh, his big breakout, uh, especially outside of uh, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, subsequently, we'll be talking about the groundbreaking Wuxia epic, uh, Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, which yep. is um not of course not the first Wuxia I uh, ever seen but <laughs> it uh, why i say it's groundbreaking was because it was the western audiences first yeah. introduction to Wuxia, mm-hmm. uh you know the 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 wire stunts and the flying and all of that a lot of people had their minds blown uh and me being 13, 14 at the time was also my first introduction to wuxia, which is what mm-hmm. helped me get into you know older Chinese wuxia. La. But it being the groundbreaking film that it is, we thought we'll talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yep. Uh, finally, we'll be talking about Lulu Wang's very bittersweet, uh, bicultural um, tale of family and morality and secrecy mm. called The Farewell. Um, it it gave uh, a lot of Oscar bars for Lulu Wang, who unfortunately was you know not nominated in the end, yeah. uh, and neither was Akofina. It's uh, quite uh, a snub, uh, uh, you know, because it, it was such a great little indie film, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, I mean, quite a bit This happened uh, in 2019. Yeah, um, so we'll begin with the two the two 2000s films. Um, first one is In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai. Um, this is our main topic, so we'll be delving deep into it. So if you don't want spoilers for any of this, right? Um please like don't listen yet. Yeah. You know, go watch the films first. Or, yeah. you know, you know, just listen to the parts that of the of the podcast you know that you've already seen. Like, you know, if you've already seen In the Mood for Love, then listen to In the Mood for Love. Yeah. Um Yeah, but let, let's let's begin with In the Mood for Love. Wong Kawai's uh opus. Um when did you first watch it? Did you already watch it in cinemas or anything? Uh, uh and what were your first impressions of it? You know?
1: Okay. I definitely didn't watch it in cinemas, right? Mm Because in 2000, let me see, 2000, I was still pretty young in 2000, right? Like it was 13. It's not exactly something you're going to go to the cinema to watch Mm -hmm. unless you've got an adult accompanying you. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, like not that there's anything, you know, um, that a 13 year old couldn't watch necessarily. But I just don't think at that point in my life, I was that drawn to cinema of that ilk. Um, so I'm going to say it mm. was probably a couple of years later, um, only when I started really kind of like Video easy or something, eh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I think it yeah. was, oof. I think I saw Chungking Express first, before I really got into Wong Kar Wai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, you know, obviously, you, if, if you're going to trace everything, you're going to hit in the mood for love at some point in time. Yeah. um but it was it was life changing i i think uh, nonetheless for for to be introduced to cinema of that kind um you know just how beautiful yeah. it was its use of music it, it, its thematic kind of like discussion of of unrequited love and and all of that i think it impacted a very young kind of teenage me uh in uh, i'm not sure if it's in a, in a necessarily in a good way or <laughs> Uh, but you know, uh, just to have, just to be exposed to that, um, and what essentially was my first look into very um, artistic, uh, non-Western cinema uh, mm. was very, very um, crucial, I-, I think, in my watching habits to come.
0: Yeah, um, y- of course, you're you're, you're Chinese right, and I'm Malay. Was this yeah. like your? F- I mean, I-, I don't assume that this was your first Chinese film.
1: No, it, it it wasn't. And I think what's more interesting is that um, most of it is in Cantonese, right? And I, yes. I'm Cantonese. My whole family's been Cantonese. And a lot of the the films that I watched when I was a lot younger, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe I'll talk a bit about more of that when we go into Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, had, well, it was uh, recorded in Cantonese, right? I watched a lot of like, Hong Kong cinema with my family when I was younger. like A lot of the time when we went to the cinema when mm-hmm. we were still living in Malaysia. Um, everything was dubbed to Cantonese or recorded in Cantonese or filmed in Cantonese. Wow. So, to kind of like revisit um, that, right, to watch the film in Cantonese is always kind of like a nostalgia trip for me. Mm. Right? Um, just because like, there is something very different about the dialect uh, from from listening to it in Mandarin. Right? Uh, in fact, I've actually watched the Mandarin dub of In the Mood for Love and I, I can't like yeah, uh, it just doesn't quite hit the right spot for me because there are certain tones and certain inflections, you know. That you, I mean, it's a it's a dub versus something, right? Like it's recorded in Cantonese, you know. Um, mm. both Maggie Cheung and, and Tony Leung, of course, are, are native, uh, um, Cantonese speakers as well. Um, yep. so that definitely kind of adds to the expression of it. Uh, it adds to this very quaint kind of um. Um. Quaint audio, uh, auditory kind of uh, of a uh, of feeling that you don't quite get in, in the version that's dubbed into Mandarin.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, um, if if you all are not familiar, like uh, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love is, I think, popularly considered one of his best films. Mm. Um, some may say it's Junking, some may say it's Twenty Forty Six. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> Uh, but it's, In The Mood for love, is certainly one of his best. Like, it kind of details the, the emotional subtleties and, and private revelations of the connection between a secretary named um, Su Li Jin, uh, played yeah. by Maggie Cheung, of course, and journalist Chao Mo Wan, played by Tony Leung. Uh, the year is 1962, uh, set in Hong Kong. So mm-hmm. they move into the same building, and after growing closer, the two realize that their respective spouses are being unfaithful. Um, and, and it's kind of a source of shared vulnerability for yeah. them that, that deepens their friendships and challenges the boundaries of their emotional impulses. Um, so in order to better understand their spouses, right, Liz Jen and, and Mo Wen, they try to reenact moments of their relationship that could have led to infidelity. They're essentially trying to mm-hmm. Um, put themselves <laughs> in the shoes of their cheating spouses through each other yeah. um, it 's very interesting you know so uh, not your traditional story by any means, mm. um, so though both protagonists kind of they use the staged interactions uh, as a means of spending time together, but neither admit that they are developing romantic feelings for one uh, for one another mm-hmm. a- and and Wong kind of affirms his mastery of of uh, what I would call like cinematic restraint uh mm. with with uh, just by Letting it play out through stunning visuals that uh, that reflect the quiet tension of the protagonists' uh, relationship, yeah. um, and and the most poetic sequences are characterized by, by I guess what I'll call absence and sparsity. Mm. Um, you know he uses the sparsity as a means of promoting uh, suspense, of uh, ex- uh, accentuating emotionality, uh, and subverting traditional Western romantic. Um, expectations. Yeah. So the two protagonists' connection often manifests in glimpses of furtive smiles or brushed shoulders of 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 distance uh, instead of closeness. You know. Yeah. So it, like, it has this alluring power that lies in its subversion, like, like the audience's inability to distinguish between what is real, what is staged, uh, mm-hmm. and what is taking place in their imaginations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. I I think the use of uh, um, we we don't see their spouses, right? Uh, at any given point in time. We, no, yeah. we, we don't see the spouse's faces, at, at very least, at yeah. any given point in time, you know, and just like, it furtively um, it, it helps us, it, it helps to isolate the two characters that we're focused on, right, and mm-hmm. their particular relationship uh, amongst kind of like the bustle of their neighbours and all that. The, the living arrangement is uh, kind of odd, I I think in in terms of like our modern understanding of what it should be, mm. right? Like there's a common area uh, in the apartment building that they're living in, uh, you know, and of course it's very neighborly. There's a lot of kind of um, interaction going on with the neighbors as well, which allows them um to have those like important first interactions, um mm. that eventually developed into that, you know, and that's something that I I think didn't strike me as much until my most recent rewatch. Yeah. Um, you know, um I, and of course, you know, right now just generally being socially more socially isolated. Mm. In the times we're living in, I, I think that's something I took a lot greater note of the fact that um their romance, so to say, mm. um could only take place because it was take, it, it took place in a greater kind of like um group interaction. Like an uh, urban kampung or something like that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, and and that uh, it is, is kind of rare, I, I think, these days. Yep. You know, yep. um, a lot of the time, like even in Singapore, we live, you know, with so many people around us. There are plenty of neighbors that we have, but how many, how how often do we interact with our neighbors to that degree?
0: Mm, Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. You know. Um, I really, really loved how different it was the first time I saw it. I think. Mm. I think when I first watched it. Young, I didn't see it in cinemas either. I went to Video Easy. I got, I got, uh, <laughs> I got a DVD of it, a VCD of it at the time. Um, I don't think I liked it the first time I watched it. Um, um, you know, uh, me being young, more into, you know, like action movies and stuff like that. Haven't really gone in the middle of going through my cinephile phase, but there mm-hmm. is, there is like, uh graduality to it, you know, you start out with like the basic bitch stuff like Tarantino and Hitchcock yeah. and stuff like that, you know. Um, I was more into plot-driven stuff and mm-hmm. uh, dialogue-driven stuff, you know, uh, and then like, you know, this is sort of my entry into character-driven nuance, which mm. I was not familiar with. Uh, yeah. Me now, um, I prefer it, you know, to all the other stuff, you know. But yeah. I only appreciated it more as I grew older and I've really watched this film four or five times since then um oh, yeah. yeah most recently being like just a few weeks ago it's 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 very good it kind of it captures the the loneliness um and unfulfilled desire
1: um, mm.
0: I think better than almost any other film in the two thousands. Um, Agreed. and and Wong's use of you know lush visuals, the color, the oh, precise yeah. framing, mm. the <laughs> evocative slow motion, that soundtrack, you know, the the theme that keeps coming in. Um, I think it illustrates both the the beauty of unexpectedly falling in love, uh, and the fractured feeling of knowing that um it can never be consummated. Yep. Uh, not because it it's not physically impossible It's not it's not because it's physically impossible but yeah. because they don't want it you know they don't yeah. want to be at, um a, part of the plot of the film is that they don't want to sink to the the levels of their spouses right yeah yeah, so, Ma- yeah.
1: maggie chung makes a, a a pretty impassioned kind of plea right mm-hmm. let's not be like them um you know uh yeah i mean like well there's so much to say about like what's beautiful about in the mood for love um yeah. i want to talk a bit about the use of music Right, yeah. Um, the yeah. main theme, which is used as a refrain again and again and again, and I do, rem- I do vaguely remember. I think the, the first time that I saw it when I when I first rented the video from VCD from Video Easy, I got a little annoyed, right? Like because it, you know, it keeps coming back, and keeps coming back in kind of like different scenes and different sequences. I think much like you, it was only uh, later on upon repeated watchings that I kind of understood what he was going for uh, mm-hmm. in, in that particular musical choice. Uh, yeah. The music is amazing, right? Uh, and just the way that it continues to allow it to frame, bring back a familiar refrain in order to allow um, the audience to kind of sink into this sense of familiarity and comfort mm. while we watch what's playing on, on, on stage. Just to let you know that like, it's more of the same, right? What we're seeing uh, on screen uh mm-hmm. that every time the refrain plays but at the same time like there's something growing there right each time that the refrain comes in you know it becomes uh more meaningful and a bit more deep uh mm-hmm. in in its use um, yeah
0: yeah it it really allows you to bask bask in very quiet Moments, you know, you mm. see, you see, like the two characters eating, eating noodles alone, yeah, um, waiting in the rain by the alleyways, things like <laughs> that, you know, and, and those are some of the most heartbreaking, entrancing moments of the film, like you know, the use yeah. of slow motion also very unusual, I, I, you know, usually you see it for like action sequences, right, mm-hmm. you know, just the slow motion here was, uh, it, it lets you bask in like the gorgeous splendor of you know the actors who are very handsome and beautiful respectively mm-hmm. uh but it also kind of ensnares them in their own private little prisons yeah you know like the loneliness despite being living in that ta community how maggie chung has to hide uh just the fact that she's writing a comic with him right you know yeah. because like the, the social mores of that time uh were okay with men having affairs but not with women uh mm. you know that kind of thing um and also you know she doesn't want to give uh tony Leung away la. um very good like the, the the color the the use of red and blacks uh mm. it's very Chinese and it also you know captures the the suppressed identity uh, intensity of their of their love like, and and their own identities you know like um it's it's so beautifully cinematographed <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean you know
1: yeah. yeah, I think it's easy to to see it as kind of pink on color white right yep, um just in terms of the things that he's become known for. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, some people say, you know, Blueberry Nights was kind of like the, the as peak as you can get. Uh, but The that,
0: Nora Jones one, right?
1: Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, that was, you know, that was Wang Gawai making fun of himself, more or less. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, but so, like, in The Mood for Love, still, I think one of the standout uh, moments in, in Chinese cinema. Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, if you want to be specific, Hong Kong cinema, and definitely a very important film to me. Yeah. Um. You know, just given like it, its place in my my uh, cinema experience, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Um. I was thinking about how, on the last behold, we were talking about how "In the Mood for Love" would kind kind of like uh, bridge, you know, our Chinese New Year episode and the Valentine's yes. Day episode. Yeah on reviewing it, right, just between the time that we we, we recorded last, I'm not sure if I, I would recommend people watch this for Valentine's Day necessarily. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, you're, if you're, yeah, it's not, it's not exactly, even, you know, Eternal Sunshine, like, at least it ends on a slightly hopeful, slightly happier note. There's a, there's a resignation in, in the mood for love, I think, which is mm-hmm. both beautiful and painful and extremely, um, Relatable that i I'm not sure if I would necessarily consider it to be Valentine's Day material,
0: yeah, yeah, I suppose it would have fit with our like Nick year like we did like anti Valentine's you know that kind of thing, yeah uh yes. but but even then, not so you know it it happens in the middle uh, you know hmm. it's it's not rejecting romance, it's not embracing romance, yeah, it's, yeah. There,
1: there is a love story there, right, it's yeah. just that that love story never sees the kind of conclusions that uh, we want as an audience, you know.
0: Mm, yes. Yeah. Um when you were younger and you watched it, right, what was your opinion on the pacing of the film? I now love it, but I hated it back then. Uh
1: I found it very difficult to to get used to, I think. Yeah. Um I it, it was only I I think I only realized why that the pacing was intentional, right, as as mm. like a young teen kind of watching it. In the moments when the slow mo were used, right, because mm-hmm. it's so exaggerated. I think in particular it was uh, it's the scene where he's sitting in the office, like writing and smoking, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and and all the smoke kind of rises into the the ceiling lamp and all of that, and they intentionally kind of like slow that down for effect, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, then I kind of okay, okay, so this is a like specific artistic choice. I may not necessarily be used to it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it a shot. Right. Yeah. Uh, but much like the use of 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 musical refrain, you know, it was something that I, uh, got used to. Mm. Um, instead of something that I immediately enjoyed. Like this isn't easy viewing necessarily. Mm. Right. If you are used to this kind of like uh, auteur cinema, right. Um. Sure. Right. You're gonna bask in it. You're gonna take your time with it. It's easy to kind of fall in love with a film that's this beautiful. Right. Mm. Uh. But if you're not used to that kind of cinema, then like it's hard to watch. Mm. It's slow, it's quiet, it's filled with a lot of nuances that you have to pay attention to. You can't be on your phone and, you know, uh be watching this at the same time. You're just gonna miss like tons of things that are going on, right? It's something that requires you to be immersed in it, mm. uh, with a lot of intention.
0: It's very art house, you know. One mm. one of my first few art house um film experiences. Same here, it, same here. Yeah. The pacing has kind of this weird like snapshot to it, it's almost like a series of vignettes, not mm. so much um a cohesive story. And then, like, you know, those moments when you're not sure what is happening. Like, is, are they really falling in love? <laughs> oh no, they're play-acting, you know? Like, yeah. those oh, even back then, they, they threw me for a loop like, and it showed me, like, you know, oh, this is something a bit different, something very special. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. The play acting moments definitely caught me off guard. It had me very confused the first time round. I was seeing it. I think, in mm-hmm. particular, when they are play, when they are role playing the part where she confronts, she's supposed to confront her husband. Mm. I was just, what the hell is going on, right? And then the the camera cuts to the opposite yep. angle. I was like, oh right, okay, why are they doing this? Yeah. Um. You know. Also, I completely forgot that Singapore was kind of involved in the story.
0: Very briefly, right? I think in the climax, right? Uh, as well as Cambodia, right?
1: Uh yeah, so um the, yeah I I guess you, you we would call that the climax right like of of another kind of like misconnections thing, yes that they had, yeah supposedly taking place in Singapore I don't know if they actually filmed here um, probably
0: not like it's just a room in Hong Kong yeah yeah, yeah.
1: um and uh, of course everything at the Un- uncle ward and, and the whole resolution of the story there mm-hmm. uh I've always found it strange because the story that he he brings up right while he's having uh, noodles with with uh, Ping, mm. is that you you speak into a tree, right? You shout into a tree, mm, um, but yes. he decides to speak into a hole at the Uncle Wat. You know, yep. which always struck me as like very strange. Yeah, um, the significance of that and why exactly he chose to do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, he he he's a he's a romantic soul. I'm guessing you know that uh, any whole mm. tree wasn't enough.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. He had to go to this historical, <laughs> ancient landmark. Uh, and and shout into that his you know uh, unrequited love. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably one of the best films of unrequited love I've seen in a while. Mm. Um, I think thematically a, a bit similar to Casablanca also because that whole film was about unrequited love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like there was consummation. You know, as far as we know.
0: At, at first, uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, these two never consummated or yeah. even got together. You know, they they pretended. <laughs> uh, they they suggested to each other, but never yeah. really happened. Yeah,
1: it was uh, it was kind of interesting for me. Um, especially this most recent um rewatch. Uh, kind of realized like how much this reminded me of Age of Innocence. Not not oh. not necessarily the the movie itself. Like I was thinking more of the actual novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there are a lot of like these moments, like kind of these misconnection moments between. Oh, I can't remember the names of her characters, but there's this one mm. particular scene where she's standing at the fireplace and then he decides, in his goodbye, he doesn't say anything but only kisses the tip of her scarf, right, that's mm. hanging by her back, you know, right. and I, for some reason, that kind of came to mind, I think, uh, in that particular moment when when um, he, he finds the cigarette butt in his mm-hmm. room, right, in his ashtray or with lipstick on it. And I was just like, huh, Okay, yeah. that's actually not too far. Like thematically, um, Age of Innocence and In the Mood for Love. Not something that I occurred to me before. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I see that also, you know. Um, if you guys want to watch In the Mood for Love, right, it is uh, available on the Criterion Collection, uh, mm-hmm. which has a lot of amazing films. Yeah. Um, it's available for uh, purchase everywhere. Um, Amazon, mm-hmm. VOD. Um, if you want to stream it, I'm so, I'm sure it's available on Amazon. Yep. Uh, it's not available on Netflix, right? As far as I know.
1: Ooh, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I, it's... Not, not that Netflix Singapore, at least. La. Maybe it's available in Netflix US if you VPN it, but I'm, I'm not sure. La. Uh, But I own the DVD, so, you know, there you go. You can, you know, download it. Yeah, on Amazon.
1: I own the VCD. But unfortunately, I, didn't, <laughs> I I can't watch the VCD. Oh, yeah. 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 Um. Uh, so, well, yeah. I mean, it, it's very easy to find. It's a, definitely kind of like a classic Um, You know, highly recommend Uh, if you are not familiar with Wong Kar-wai's work, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a good place to start, actually.
0: Yeah, um, a great, very quiet, visual, nuanced uh, take on adultery and love and infatuation and this kind of idea of uh, the transient reality of relationships, you know, Mm -hmm. how... Uh, a lot of it can linger in the minds of subjects, uh, of, of the people affected, rather yeah. than you know, how long it lasts in actual time. Like, you know? um, yeah, it's, it's one of the most uh, perfect Wong Kar movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, definitely hi- highly recommend it. And next up, we'll be talking about Ang Lee's Wuxia epic, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, mm-hmm. which also coincidentally came out in the same year as In the Mood for Love, back in 2000 kind of a monumental year for Chinese cinema. Mm. So Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was a bit of a of a groundbreaking event in American cinema, certainly for Western audiences and maybe for my young self. Yeah. Because at that point in time, most people who grew up in movies from the West, which let's face it, a lot of us did, uh, were <laughs> not familiar with wuxia style filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And Ang Lee brought that to the mainstream uh, not just to popularize it in the Western audiences, it even won awards at the Oscars you know, for, yeah. for its stunt work, for its acting, for its writing. Uh, such a stellar achievement mm-hmm. uh, by Ang Lee. Um, you picked Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as one of your favorite Chinese films of all time. Tell us why.
1: Um, I mean, there were a couple of films that I wanted to kind of pick out, right? And, and like Wu Xia is a big part of Chinese cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, amongst all the kind of modern wuxia films, which we'll we'll probably touch on a bit later on, mm-hmm. uh, is, holds kind of special place, right? Where I think it's the first time that it is uh, wuxia, um, but mixed with art house cinema, e- mm. essentially, right? Uh, and it not uh, not only did it kind of like reinvent or, or kind of like expand upon uh, what notions of wuxia were. Uh, But the fact that it was shot specifically for, I mean, not shot specifically for, but with Western audiences in mind, right? Like they wanted to kind of introduce the epic sagas of Wuxia to a Western audience and for it to come from Ang Lee, of all people. Because up till Mm. that point, he hadn't really uh, explored that particular um, uh, slice of genre not or at all, cinema. he's done very
0: very interior art house uh, dramas, uh, a period piece like Sense and Sensibility, mm. Eat, Drink, Men, Women, you know. So they're all very different types of cinema, like, more award-baity, shall we say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he added that flavour into an action genre as classical as Busia, which is incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, all, all of the award-baity stuff, like I think uh, it got nine nominations, if I'm not wrong. Mm. Um. We just lost connection to the server. Oh shit. You see that? We
0: still recording though?
1: I, I don't know. Okay. Ah, I yeah.
0: I don't know how that worked though.
1: Um I'm I'm guessing our local local one still has that. Okay. Yeah, so I I we can continue, I guess.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, the reason why I picked it, um, uh, essentially was because like I, I just felt like it was a very important film. And upon re-watching it recently, I was just kind of blown away about how well it's aged. Like, it's still mm-hmm. a great uh, kind of, like, epic story, you know, um, thematically, like, very progressive for its time, right, essentially trying mm-hmm. to break free from the societal expectations and kind of pursuing your own path embedded within the Wuxia film itself. Uh, we've got, like, a, a, a young Michelle Yeoh. We've got a young Chow yun Fat. Uh, Zhang Ziyi as well. Um, yeah. Probably her breakout role, in fact. I think this is where um, the cinema industry really kind of... The film industry really kind of like um, start, started to notice her as a character. And then, of course, you know, she she goes on to do uh, Memoirs of Geisha mm. and so on and so forth. Um, which really kind of cemented her as a, a A-list um, actress, right? Like, international actress instead of just like um, known in Chinese circles itself. Yeah. So, like, a very important monumental groundbreaking film but all around like just like a very well done film like it's beautifully shot um all the music is great like it's got a very distinct um a chinese influence to it uh Mm -hmm. apparently recorded with the shanghai symphony orchestra um and yeah it's just a very very good representation of um of cinema that is uh, reinvented itself to a wider audience Uh, and for me like it was just one of those things that um when it came out in 2000 i remember going to watch it specifically uh and it might have been like the first time in my young life at that point in time where i i went to the cinema by myself to catch a wuxia film right 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 yeah
0: And, you know, how did you... Oh, that was by yourself, right? Mm, Yeah, by myself. Okay. So I went to watch it with some friends, you know, back in uh, secondary school, early sec. Mm -hmm. A lot of my friends, maybe unfamiliar with that style of film. (laughs) Yeah. For the first scene, you know, when they were flying across the rooftops, how graceful that was and all of that. Yeah. It was so bizarre, right? No explanation for their powers or whatnot. (laughs) That they literally broke out laughing for the first scene. Yeah. And then the film won them over. Yeah. And that was so surprising to see like my cynical. You know, as I mentioned in my previous episodes, right? I brought I brought them to watch things like being John Malkovich and things like that, you know. Yeah. Never won them over. Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon eventually won them over. <laughs> because it is uh despite its kind of weird stylistic flourishes, you know, that is Boosia, mm-hmm. in its underpinning, it's a very understandable story that is timeless, mm-hmm. classical, that everyone can love uh and know. Um part of the thing that struck me about Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon wasn't so much the wire work wasn't so much the stunt work but it was the depth and poignance of the drama and interplay between the characters yeah. um, I felt so much for the lead protagonist Phat, and Michelle Yu, but I also felt for the quote unquote villain of the story like mm. Zang Ziyi uh, and, and as well as the I forgot her name like uh, Jade right
1: Uh, Jade Fox yeah
0: Jade Fox, yes, yeah. yeah. So that was like the main villain of the story. But the real villain of the story is societal patriarchy, mm. you know. Um, So that was really great. Very, very progressive themes so for it's time. Mm. Where, um, yeah. A very feminist feminist theme. Um, also, I mean, not to overlook the wire work and the stun work, because like, I had oh, never yeah. seen anything so graceful, so uh, beautiful and so spiritual, yeah. you know, uh, fighting in a Western sense, you know, when you watch stuff like... um. John Wick or, or or back in the 90s, the Michael Bay stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, It's based on one character having a beef, having <laughs> having, a, uh, having a struggle with another character. A lot of it is based on violence, a lot of it is based on conflict. Yeah. But in the best martial arts films, uh, and including musa films, and including this one, the characters are not so much fighting each other, mm. but rather celebrating... Their their powers, celebrating their excellence, testing each other's limits. Um, you know, uh, trying to transcend space, gravity, the limitations of the mind, the mm-hmm. fears of the fears of the mind, and, and and the limitations of the body. Um, in in a way that it's just so spiritual that like, there's not there's no like real malice to it. You know, what yeah. I
1: mean, mm-hmm. I mean yeah. like uh, like like you've talked about before, right? Like there's no real villain in this in in this uh in this film. And yeah. the fact is that, well, first of all, like, just the uh, aesthetically, right? Like, when wuxia films do action, right? Mm-hmm. You get to see all of it, right? There's no mm-hmm. shaky camera to kind of hide that. There. There's no, like, you know, super up close and kind of, like, you get lost in the flurry. that a lot of, like, Hollywood action movies like to do today or have liked to do for the last, like, decade or so, right? Mm-hmm. You get to see everything. And, like, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon... Um, I think like eighty or ninety percent of the stunt work and the fight sequences were done by the actors. Uh, they were not just practical effects, but they were done by the actors themselves. Yeah, just right? uh, um,
0: straight up old school wire work from the seventies. You know?
1: Yeah, and so like yeah. when we see them kind of like um, uh, fight, fighting in the bamboo forest and all of that, like that's really them like putting in the work and and, and you know putting themselves at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, like just to touch on that same point, right? Like so much of the time when we have fight scenes in uh in in Western cinema, right? Like it's it's a lot of time it's about the violence of it, right? Um yeah. but in this particular case it's a beautiful thing when the fight scenes and the accompanying dialogue um with those fight scenes are about resolving conflict within yourself, right? Uh as philosophical, as, right? Yeah, it's a philosophical moral kind of like Um, quandary where you are trying to surpass yourself and in Mm. that uh, moment while you're trying to surpass yourself you're also trying to uh, it's embodied with the conflict with with another person who's also trying to surpass themselves, right? Um, And on top of that you also have this very um, different use of what a MacGuffin is. So in Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon the MacGuffin is the this sword, right? Called Green Destiny. Yeah. uh, Which um, is... It is, for all intents and purposes, a MacGuffin, you know, like, throughout the entire thing, everybody's trying to obtain it. But the symbolism behind that whole idea of, like, a, a green destiny, a verdant destiny, a, a destiny that is 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 fresh and about to bloom, yeah. um, you know, is very much, um, very much underpins the journey of, of Zhang Ziyi's character, it specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's the only one within the story, right? Despite the fact that, three out of the four main cast members are, are kind of looking for that um that that manages to secure that right at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh and it's something that's very rare um to see in in mainstream cinema right a lot of the time we get like mcguffins you chase things all over the universe but like it doesn't under um underpin the same kind of like heavy symbolism mm-hmm. um that we got in crouching tiger hidden dragon
0: yeah uh, a mcguffin isn't just a MacGuffin most times. Yeah. When, uh, a MacGuffin is often used derogatorily mm. when you talk about a story, right? But not all things are bad inherently. A MacGuffin can be used well. That's why MacGuffins exist. You know, that's why cliches exist, right? Yeah. Like, like early on, like it's used to underpin thematic symbolism, which is what Crouching Tiger does. It's not like, say, Rise of Skywalker, where you're trying to find <laughs> this thing that leads you to this other thing that leads you to that other thing, and then you lose that thing, and then in the end, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, that's a stupid McGuffin. Mm-hmm. Like this is a good McGuffin. you know. Um, if you aren't aware, let me just break down the story for a little bit. It involves a main character, Cho Yun Fat, uh, mm. who plays Li Mu Bai. As I mentioned, he is a warrior who has vowed to avenge the death of his master. Classical. Um, He has for many years been in love with Yushu Lian, played by Michelle Yeoh, Mm -hmm. uh, and she with him. It's a reciprocal thing. Uh, But their personal feelings um, wait upon vengeance because they attempt to recapture the sword we mentioned, Mm -hmm. the green destiny that once belonged to Li Mu Bai's master, and has recently been sold to a wealthy district governor. Um, So this brings... You should lean into contact with the governess sheltered do- daughter Zhen Yu played by Zhang ji mm-hmm. who is at first seemingly very <laughs> princessy very yeah. uh, you know uh, spoiled cannot you know uh, do things for herself yeah uh, he has assistants and servants everywhere, mm-hmm. but she's not who she she's not she's not who we think she is you know she's not who society thinks she is uh and she's certainly not who her father and mother think she is. You know? yep. um, and that's really great. The other main character, Jade Fox, played by Cheng Pei Pei, uh, stands between the heroes uh, and their dreams uh, and is essentially the bad influence mm-hmm. uh, for, for Zhang Ziyi's character, uh, despite the fact that she herself has a tragic backstory. You yep. know? Um, what a fantastic classical story that is. Uh, for, that you know has added further depth and poignance through Ang Lee's skill as an interior dramatist's mm. uh, um, skills that he has honed on Sense and Sensibility and, and Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, those types of films. You yeah. know, uh, when you when you have that kind of dramatic depth and poignance added onto the graceful, beautiful, spiritual wirework and fighting of, of Wuxia, it, it creates this almost um, improved, updated version of Wuxia. Mm-hmm. And it almost makes me wish that maybe the genre had carried on in this fashion, uh, yeah. rather than devolve <laughs> once again to to the kind of simplistic good versus bad type of story that you find in in let's say Disney's live action Mulan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean like it's very obvious that um Mulan, for example, right? Like it wants very much to 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 be in that particular spirit, right? Where you have, you know, a wu of, of epic proportions with with mm-hmm. gorgeous visuals. Uh, and and a very solid kind of like personal storyline with a moral to it mm. um the problem I, I feel like is that uh, the form is there but the spirit is not right like the it and some it makes me wonder if it's because it's not Hollywood story to tell mm. uh you know so I'm very excited for the new mulan that's coming out it looks amazing uh, yeah the one and, that
0: china is producing yeah
1: yeah and like it it's kind of one of those things right like um like Uh, the reaction to Hollywood's 1998 Godzilla, for example, right? And the Godzilla that we kind of got after that. Mm -hmm. Um, We watched Shin Godzilla, which is its own, like, great piece of film. Mm. Um, You know? Uh, So, we'll see where that goes. But nonetheless, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon did spin off... Not spin off, but, like, it did... uh, Inspire. uh, Inspire a number of great Wu Xia films in the the same kind of, like... um, tone and texture like, of that yeah. yeah so you've got like um House of uh House of Flying Daggers and you've got yeah. like Hero you've got like Curse of the Golden Flower um you know um and I mean Zhang Yimou's, I think Curse of the Golden Flower was the point in which where it kind of departed from that right like Uh, kind of shedding the whole idea, like, okay, look, we want to keep the art house look of it, it's going to be beautiful, but we want it to be epic, it doesn't necessarily need to have the kind of drama that um, uh, House of uh, Flying Daggers or or Hero had, necessarily, you know, and then, so, like, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, among all the wuxia that I was thinking about, talking, uh, for us to kind of, like, watch and talk about, um, has a special place, right? Just because it's a unique combination of things that yeah. uh, would have spun a legacy uh, of, like, art house Um uh, mm-hmm. but it kind of, like, s- took a very different turn, right? A couple uh, a couple of iterations of that that genre mm-hmm. later, yeah. which is a bit sad, you know? And I don't think we've had anything even remotely close
0: no man Do could that? you imagine this alternate universe you know like we ca- we exist currently in this universe where <laughs> where there is this thing suddenly that's popped up because of a24 called art house horror right? yeah yeah you know can you imagine like there's this like because of crouching tiger there's this slew of art house that came out in the early 2000s i would have been so happy yeah. that, didn't ha- that didn't happen actually. yeah
1: that didn't happen i mean like we got a very um I think at the point in time when 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 Zhang Yun was was getting really big, right, with the stuff that he was doing, mm. um, it kind of split off into two very different um camps, right. Like we got a whole slew of martial artists stuff, not necessarily wuxia per se, right. No, so we got in, like Ip Man. in the
0: tradition of martial arts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ip Man, yeah. Yep. So
1: Iman is a good um um, it's a good kind of like example of that. And then we had uh the masters, I think. Mm-hmm um uh, which which of course like that's like art house to the nth degree um but not really Xia as we we traditionally understand it Mm -hmm. you know so that just kind of even uh cements crouching that hidden dragon as a very unique piece of film uh in film history uh and uh, part of the reason why i chose it right not just for it being groundbreaking it being seminal and monumental and that um and kind of like affecting the history of cinema, although not necessarily in the way that you and I would necessarily want um, mm. that to go, uh, but still important nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of credit has to go to the actors themselves, uh, because mm. not many actors can perform the physical stunt work that is required here, yeah, uh, and look, you know, great doing it while mm. delivering really emotive pieces of dialogue, you know, enemy style in the middle <laughs> of it, you know, um, fat and Michelle Yeoh were great martial arts stars and they've spun off again, you know, after this to become Mm -hmm. even bigger martial arts stars, you know. Uh, As you mentioned, this was Zhang Ziyi's breakout role, um, it launched the careers of many people. Uh, but one person in particular has to be given uh credit is uh, Yuan Wu Ping, you know, who, yeah. who is the choreographer of, of Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, uh who also made it big just the previous year. He's done many other things, but yeah. he made it really big by choreographing <laughs> the matrix. Yeah. Uh which brings me to my point. I think two particular movies opened up Western palettes mm-hmm. to Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. Number one was The Matrix, which tonally and thematically this to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but mm-hmm. there were certain elements of the fights. You know how poetic it was, how stylized it was. You know how graceful it was. Admittedly, explained through you know the VR uh, um, uh thing <laughs> of it, uh, that that allowed you to maybe like hey okay like these type of fight scenes are cool too. It's yeah. very different from the gritty grounded fights that we usually have. Mm-hmm. And number two, story wise, I think Mulan opened up uh this whole um feminist uh, um. Uh, Heroine heroin fighting against like patriarchy yep. uh in, in Chinese society mm-hmm. uh stories that suddenly blossomed mm-hmm. uh culminating <laughs> in, in Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon a uh, post post uh cartoon mulan.
1: Yeah, yeah, post cartoon mulan. Uh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean like if you think about it, you know, um the um Okay, so the 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 whole title itself, right, right, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, there are multiple layers of meaning to it, but mm-hmm. the easiest one to kind of understand that that uh, no matter where you go, there are hidden masters, right, hidden in plain sight, yeah. uh, and in this particular case, the hidden masters, are yeah, the two two main women of the uh, of the story, right, mm. um, who for all intents and purposes are unseen by society. At the end of the day, they are only recognized by the immediate um, people whose lives they've impacted, right? And recognized by other masters only later on when they're discovered. Uh, Mm. But they in no way have the same kind of uh, recognition or Mm. the same kind of respect that someone like Li Mu Pai carries, right? Mm. Simply because they're women. And of Mm. course, you have this distinct... um, uh, a distinct path, right, between the way that Michelle Yeoh's character has decided—you know, like she for all intents and purposes, she's a self-made woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like she owns her own private security company. She's a martial artist in her own right. You know, she's she's um, traversed the Jianghu and and she's developed her skills and all of that. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, her her dream and her choice is to fall into that traditional societal role and hopefully mm-hmm. um, marry Mubai, right? Whereas Zhang Ziyi, on the other hand, is going in the completely opposite direction, whereby um, because of her circumstances, um, she's forced into marriage uh, as as a political tool, Uh, and in addition to that, you know, um, so um, has talent that nobody wanted to, um, nobody wanted to to develop, or nobody even knew that she had, except for Jade Fox, right, who. Yeah,
0: Um, whose own backstory mirrors like what you were saying like all she wanted to do was learn um, Mubai's form of martial arts she she, she wasn't allowed into the school no girls allowed it said on on the front you know Uh, and that's why she turned bad if only they had been more inclusive right
1: yeah exactly right so like it's a very interesting kind of like in the uh, in 2000 right like Mm. for something like that to come out of Chinese cinema Um, not that we have not like had you know not that there are any there's any lack of Chinese hero wins in Chinese literature or in Chinese cinema for that matter right yeah. for but for them to put that out there and for mm-hmm. them to reach western shores is yeah. really quite something
0: yeah, you know for a movie about societal repression about characters resolutely sacrificing their own happiness and their own romantic love uh to fulfill a set of societal expectations that maybe they don't want for themselves yeah uh it, it it's Kind of similar to the next movie we're talking about, like, about you know the the whole modernity versus tradition kind of mm-hmm. vibe. You know, mm-hmm. do you rebel against it? How do you improve upon tradition? Should you improve upon tradition? Yeah. Those kinds of questions are really unusual for a movie mm-hmm. of 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 this ilk. Um, love also the, the romance between Chow fat and and Michelle Yu. Oh Hill. man, uh, <laughs> such an understated, unrequited love. Very well done. Uh, you know. A bit similar to in the mood for love as well. Yeah. Uh, if you know they had thoughts. Um, yeah. Th- this this movie like really finds a lot of like you know this kind of fluid expressiveness and a sense of florid and formal beauty mm-hmm. in both the dramatic scenes and in both the fight scenes. Yeah. The fight scenes uh without a doubt. What what the fight scenes reminded me of, right? I I was a big musicals fan at this time. Mm. Okay. Um, okay. This, these these fight scenes. Um represent uh or at least express emotion and story mm-hmm. and theme in the way that song and dance numbers uh do in, in musicals. Yeah. Like to me, v- these fight scenes are more song and dance numbers than they are traditional Western style fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're so ambitious and intricate. And beautiful, that it really blew my mind, you know. Even even going back to the old Wuxia, I guess perhaps they didn't have the technology at the time or yeah. stuff like that. You know, this is definitely the best looking Wuxia out there. Like.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like uh I think at that point in time, you know, there was there was a couple of like advancements in terms of like uh, uh cinema technology, right? That was uh, mm-hmm. allowed them to, to do things that um, weren't there before, you know, and yeah. of course, uh, but, su- but surprisingly, seventeen million was how much they spent on the on the movie itself, right? Yeah. Uh, and it did very very well at the box office, um, mm-hmm. upon opening, uh, but even then, right, well shot, well choreographed, um, it does not have the same scale of epicness as some of the uh, modern Wuxia that followed it had, uh, with like the giant kind of like cast of thousands of extras and things like that. Um uh, yeah. but still like for the story and for what it was trying to say and trying to tell, mm-hmm. right? Um so well done.
0: It is it sacrifices the epic skill of war that mm. you frequently see in, in uh Wuxia films yeah. to add in Ang Lee's Jane Austen-ish flavor <laughs> of interior drama. Yeah. Uh so I would much rather sacrifice skill in favor of character um Character intimacy. Yeah. Yeah, I would much rather have character intimacy than
1: that. hmm For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think like we get we get like tons of it, right? Like, and that's something that's a bit lacking in, say, Hero or in Curse of the Golden Flower. Um mm-hmm. you do get some of that in, in House of Flying Daggers. Um since it's a romance masquerading as always, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it's it's I mean, again, it's just a unique. Um, piece of film history, right? Yeah. Uh, in yeah. terms of what it the the proposition that it made um, to its audiences for a, at its time. And even like, what 20 years later we're still you know wowed by um the the, the craft of it, the art of it.
0: Yeah dude it's it looks better than a 2020 movie, you know, you know yeah. Like yeah. Alan, right. Yeah. yeah. Um Lee I think he just he wasn't just trying to mimic or ape uh, old, an old genre. Mm. He was trying to show new audiences how effective this type of story can be mm-hmm. if you devote the proper budget and the level of craft to it. Yeah. Like, this story, this type of storytelling is not outdated by any means. Mm-hmm. It still can be done, you know. Yeah. It's just that, you know, people since Crouching Tiger, <laughs> haven't done it this well. But that doesn't mean that the genre is outdated. Yeah. The genre is is fit for a reboot and I hope one comes... Soon, lah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. Um, the new Chinese Mulan that's coming out. I, I hate having to say that, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it it hits the same kind of highs for that, right? Like that, I feel like there's a lot of pride at stake, uh, mm-hmm. for that, and um, I'm I'm not sure if we'll get the same kind of interior drama. I mean, obviously, Ang Lee is not not on the project, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, hopefully, we get something closer to that. Then we yeah. go with the Disney one.
0: I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not saying that Ang Lee is the perfect filmmaker, but he was the perfect filmmaker for this. Mm-hmm. Um, There were instances in his career where he tries to inject that kind of interior drama into other films that didn't work out. I'm talking about the Hulk, uh, yeah. if you guys remember this, you know. Yeah. uh, it, it was just this like three-hour Shakespearean exercise and the Hulk shows up for like two minutes in the movie. Um, It mm. was it was bizarre, but okay, you know. That one misstep. It's like.
1: still considered canon, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because, yeah. Ang Lee's uh, Hulk is
1: considered canon. Um, to the MCU.
0: Correct. You know, Ang Lee's Hulk became Edward Norton Hulk became Mark Ruffalo Hulk.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness, that, that's kind of crazy. I mean, like we don't, uh, with everything that that all uh all the other projects that he's done, right? Like this is the only Wu one that he's done, and yeah, uh, of course after Hulk, thankfully he came back with Brokeback Mountain, which is um like we discussed the last episode, one of the great, uh, romance. Romance Tragedies. movies. Um, yeah, Yeah. Um,
0: Last Caution as well.
1: You know? Last Caution. Also, like, incredible, incredible film. Extremely difficult to watch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, I mean, great stuff from him. I, I don't know if he will ever go back to that. I think, like, how he he had an idea in his mind with Karate mm-hmm. Tiger and he executed it to his satisfaction and he's kind of done with that. He just wanted to prove a point and I think he proved it very well
0: he did you know it's it's a glorious movie that is both unabashedly escapist mm-hmm. but also shockingly thematically relevant yeah. and surprisingly touching all at the same time mm. it has it has the dramatic heft of an oscar drama which it did because it was nominated for best <laughs> picture yeah. in the dramatic category and it also has the style and the flair and the grace of all the old classic wuxias, you know yeah perfect blend of tradition uh, and western dramatic Influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the height, uh, the last great Wuxia movie that we've seen. Uh, hopefully, we'll have more to come. Yeah. Uh, next up, you know, speaking of art house films, this was, <laughs> of course, an art house film. It didn't pretend to be otherwise. I'm going to be talking about Lulu Wang's beautiful and bittersweet bicultural tale of family, tradition, and mortality uh, based on a true lie slash true story. This thing really happened to Lulu Wang. So it's SARS actor slash rapper. Aquafina as Billy, uh, a young Chinese American woman who is distraught to find out that her beloved grandmother, uh, played by Zhao Zhen, mm-hmm. has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, so, in keeping with traditional Chinese beliefs uh, over in China, the family chooses not to tell Nainai, Nai, you know, it's a, a Mandarin term for grandma, like, an affectionate yeah. term. So, they choose not to tell Nainai Nai that she only has months to live. Um, so, they want to spare her the emotional burden. Um, It's a decision that Billy vehemently uh, disagrees with. Um, So instead, the family arranges a wedding for Billy's cousin (laughs) as a pretext for every one of their family to return home to Changchun, China to visit Nai Nai for one last Mm -hmm. time. Um, Bizarre. A fake wedding, or fake slash real wedding, uh, so that they can say goodbye to a grandma who doesn't know she's dying mm-hmm. so it, in lesser hands a story <laughs> like this I felt could have been an overwrought drama full of sappy sentimentality very cry-festy you know yeah. or it could have been a zany comedy you know oh let's not tell grandma how close will grandma find out you know that kind of thing Um, you know they will focus on cultural differences and they make fun of that that kind of stuff thankfully it's not The farewell is subtle, it is sensitive, it is sharply observed, it is buoyed by organic humour and tons of empathy that enlightens us to both sides of the conflict Mm -hmm. without being didactic about which side is right. The farewell minds kind of this universal resonance from a culturally specific uh, deception. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because it is so grounded in truth ironically you know it's, it's, it's a tagline based on an actual lie yeah. uh, the reason this film feels so deeply personal and authentic is because of its autobiographical nature you know if you, if you want to find out the real story behind mm-hmm. this I urge you to go look up uh, the 2016 story that Lulu Wang did for NPR on their show This American Life mm-hmm. you know uh, it details the real-life story of this. Like, it was really her grandma who fell sick, had cancer. It was really her family who told her not to tell them. You know, So it, this this was kind of a, a loose adaptation of what happened to her in real life. Um, yeah. Beautiful. The, the beauty of Farewell is that it's not a movie about how Billy slash Lulu Wang yeah. is right and the old ways are wrong. It is is beautiful because you can see both sides of it. And it's a loving sketch of a family that carefully depicts each relative's thinking mm-hmm. so you understand where everyone is coming from, you know? Like, yeah. a lie is a lie, but this is a good lie and a well-meaning one. A mm. well, well-meaningful well one, la. yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I'm so impressed with yeah. uh, in kind of like her first dramatic role, Um, as, as far as I know, right? Like, mm. I honestly... Uh, okay, when you told me uh, when I checked it out and I saw Alcofina was like, I said okay, this is like it's gonna be like a straight up kind of zany comedy thing, right? Mm. Um, but like so much depth from her, so much uh, great breadth of 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 um, ex- expression and nuances, uh, something yeah. that um. You know, her face is so expressive and it's something that they, they make fun of in the in the movie itself, right? Her mother mm-hmm. constantly chides her for not being able to hide her emotions. But so much of those facial expressions carry the quiet moments of the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, you can see a lot of like interior drama going on while she's listening to her relatives explain their point of view and, and where they're coming from and the stance that they're taking, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible how... How how balanced it is, right? Like it's so easy, I think, not uh having not watched the movie yet to think, yeah, of course, you know, like Billy's right, right? You need to tell that. Um yeah. but to hear such reasonable arguments from both mm-hmm. sides, um, in, in a very fair and balanced way, right? And and uh, really adds to um the movie does the work, you know. Mm. It it really makes sure that uh, you understand that it's not as simple as like, you know, uh, it's a Eastern or a Western or a cultural kind of opinion, whether or not um, something of this importance should be kept a secret, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot more of it than that. And I think mm-hmm. the movie does a very, very good job of laying all that out for the audience. Yeah. Um, and that, that just makes the way that the movie plays out feel very well earned and very satisfying.
0: Yeah, it really made me think, you know, like um I I know this is not sci-fi but, like Star Trek always made me think about how morality is shaped, you know, mm-hmm. how culture and societal norms shape morality and how morality can be different depending yeah. on the cultural norms of wherever you visit, you know. So this made me think, you know, because like, you know, Billy's uncle sort of says um, you know, the difference between east and west is that in the east a person's life is part of a whole. So the secret isn't some sort of cruel evasion. It's, yeah. it's, the secret is like a hardship to be lifted from Nai, Nai and to be burdened by the rest of the family. So it allows Nai, Nai a happy uh, and unworried uh, end to her life. You know. Yeah. So, um, it brilliantly uses traditions to ponder how our sense of duty is shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Akofina's uh, characters, Billy's uh, family, their sense of duty is different. Mm-hmm. because they were raised differently, and her sense of duty is different, you know. Um, so it talks a lot about morality and mortality, but also an endearing and mischievously funny dramedy, <laughs> you, know? you know, built on layered family dynamics. Yeah. It, it ranges from, you know, the very relatable, awkward reunions, uh, I'm sure many <laughs> of you out there during the reunion dinas must have had some some of that, you know, yeah. some passive aggressive dinner table conversations. Oh my god! Um, otherwise, you know, some some moments are emotionally uh, potent. Yeah. Others are hilarious in their absurdity. Uh, but more than anything, I think it's the film's depiction of caring and affection uh, that feels so winning. You know. Mm. Um, simultaneously, we also kind of little bit explore, um, not not overdone, but yeah. the themes are there. Like we explore Billy's anxiety as an immigrant, a second generation immigrant yeah. visiting her birth country. Mm-hmm. Um it's quietly affecting and beautifully understated to show the delineation of the Chinese diaspora. Mm. You know, there, there is an entire generation out there that didn't grow up in China, yeah. but think of themselves still as Chinese, you know. Um and, and as uh, you mentioned, Akofina is great. She has this reputation as this firecracker comic relief, and she's yeah. the exact opposite of that. And Amazingly, you know who the firecracker comic releases? It's the <laughs> grandma, uh, Zhao Xushen. uh's portrayal as Nainai Nai is so warm and wonderful, and high key mm, yeah. and, and energetic. She is what Akofina usually does. You know, she has this beaming smile and sunny disposition that is so absolutely infectious, and her rapport with Akufina is magical. You yeah. instantly believe that they are related and in, it instantly invests you in the, in the cross-generational love and relationship they have for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly one of the most beautiful and bittersweet things I've, I've ever seen. I loved Nai Nai. You know, I didn't want her to die. at uh, Yeah. At the, you know.
1: yeah. I mean like, oh man, like, I, I think anyone who, who watches this, right, is going to see a part of their grandma and Nai Nai and that's kind of the beauty of it, you know, yeah. um, and like, um being Chinese and, and, and having gone through like a similar social interactions with my own relatives, for example, mm-hmm. uh really kind of makes this very bittersweet and very nostalgic, right? Like you yeah. feel immediately for, for Billy's uh struggle and you feel invested in in you know the Nai Nai's, um um story, right? Whether or not she finds out, um almost immediately um I feel conflicted. Right on the one hand, yeah, okay, I understand where Billy's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. I am more inclined to that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, when you see Nana's interaction with her family in her daily life, you know, uh, with with the grandkids and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. like you start to wonder to yourself, like maybe it's not as clear cut, right? Maybe yeah. it's a lot better for her to continue living like she's been living, and when it's her time, it's her time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah, so like so powerful, powerful stuff. Um I it was definitely a movie that took me by surprise for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh and of course like watching it uh watching this so close to Chinese New Year was also just like uh just like, oh wow. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean. That's a lot.
0: This is this uh, Lulu Wang is not some sort of experienced filmmaker. This is this I think her first or second film, uh, and she has crafted a beautiful one. You know, not yeah. just story wise, not just in terms of her direction of her actors, mm-hmm. but in terms of the gorgeously composed shots. You know, you feel like this roiling emotional unease. You know, uh, amidst like China's, you know, neon landscape, right? That mm-hmm. she um and a lot of hilarious sequences that use background <laughs> humor, um, uh, perfectly. Very, very sophisticated moments of background humor that you kind yeah. of see in like things like Arrested Development and stuff like that. But then you mix it in with very, very somber drama with with um with sophisticated emotional symbolism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of metaphor in this film. You know, like so, he, her camera work is just as assured as as her writing work. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, It is. It is a story about dichotomies, right? And yeah. how you reconcile them. It is about um celebration uh, and sorrow. It is about individuality versus family, grief versus love, past versus present, uh, truth versus lies. And The Farewell reconciles so many of those dichotomies with exquisite poise Mm -hmm. because in the end, it's an affecting film that examines the roles of tradition and culture in our lives without making any moral judgments about what is right and what is wrong.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. The Farewell reminded me so much of Joy Luck Club.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: yeah 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 and like it it. The, i mean the
0: family scenes la. the
1: family scenes especially the ones around the dinner table in particular yeah. and of course joy Luck club is also about you know american women relating to the immigrant mothers uh mm. as well but like it felt like a very more a very different uh story of course but like a very modern take on what the joy luck club was for its time
0: yeah definitely man yeah um highly enjoyed this film um it's available via a24 you can rent it you can buy it it's out on you know uh amazon and and mm-hmm. stuff like that um oh i have the dvd i purchased it i liked it so much yeah. uh you can too you know um all of these films actually right now are just available on dvd they're available on amazon available to purchase mm-hmm. uh, all available to rent if you want um Highly recommend all of them, you know. Um, yep. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, In the Mood for Love, The Farewell are great examples of Chinese language cinema. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot more as well. Like, there are plenty of films that we have not mentioned at all. Yeah. Um, for honorable mentions, I just want to quickly shout out, you know, um, <laughs> movies like Infernal Affairs, one of oh. the greatest crime. Ah, uh, thrillers of all time. When you talk about the whole undercover genre, you know, it, within a within a, a triad or within a gang, mm-hmm. Infernal Affairs is right up there. Um, I I am one of the few that likes both the Departed, Martin Scorsese's adaptation, and Infernal Affairs. I think the Departed is a good film that yeah. deserves its Oscar nominations. Yes, that that is just to give you a basis of comparison because <laughs> the <Infinite laughs> Affairs is so much better. Oh than yeah, the Departed. For sure. the Departed is good. Infernal Affairs is great. You know. Um also would like to shout out, you know, other things like Kung Fu Hustle, which I'm, i I we share love for. Um mm-hmm. I I saw actually briefly wanted to uh we, we were we were toying with the idea of making it a main topic, but perhaps yeah. we'll talk at length about it next year, but Kung Fu Hustle is an amazing Chinese film too.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And of course, um honorable mentions to all the other wuxia films that, that I think we've already mentioned, House of Flying Daggers, Hero, uh Curse of the Golden Flower, uh all very, very good modern wuxia stuff. But None of them really quite reached the heights of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is why um, we kind of settled on that. Um, you know, oh, shout out to any Stephen Chow movie, which I spent a lot of my childhood Chinese New Year downtime between visiting relatives, watching. Yeah. Um, a lot of good stuff. I mean, like, I, I really enjoyed, like, this little trip into into Chinese cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't been up to date what's coming out. Um, out of like a Chinese art house recently, maybe Same. you know we will look into that. Uh, but yeah. there's like plenty of more topics. I would love to kind of revisit it next year or you know whenever, yeah, Mooncake mm-hmm. Festival or something like that. Yeah, this is a reason yeah. to do that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I I have a lot. I have a big list of old Chinese propaganda films. You know, oh, like the fifties during communist yes. times that I really want to get into.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like one of the films that I wanted to the. That was on my short list, right? Was kind of raised the red lantern, and then the yeah, like yeah. red, red light, green light as well. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of like, um, you know, uh, Mao era like films or films about the Mao era, especially which I I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't quite seem to fit what we were trying to go for this time round in this particular episode. But I would love to explore those as well. It's been a while. I-
0: I agree. Uh, final shout-out, if you're a fan of the Wu-Tang Clan, go watch <laughs> The 36th Chamber of the Shaolin. Uh, it's a 1978 uh, martial arts movie, of, of which greatly inspired Wu-Tang. It inspired their name. It inspired mm-hmm. their first album, Enter the 36 Chambers. Without this film, there would be no Wu-Tang.
1: Yeah. One
0: of the most iconic uh, martial arts Shaolin-style kung fu films ever created You know, uh, out of Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, so if you're a Wu-Tang fan and you've never seen this film, what are you doing? And have you not wondered where they got the name from? <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, yeah. I mean, like, it really, really is. Like I um, I watched the film because my yeah. uncle has a VHS of it. Not because uh, of Wu-Tang. Not because of Wu-Tang. And then, of course, I discovered Wu-Tang later on. Mm. And then later on, I discovered that this was the film, you know, it was a kind of like a very strange roundabout way to discover the origins yeah. of Wu-Tang. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it it is. Oh man, like it is like proto, yeah. Seriously, like it really, really is like the genesis of the of the genre itself. Um, yeah, but 1972, right? Yeah.
0: 1978. Yeah, it's yeah, proto a lot of things. It's it's proto like the Shaolin kung fu genre. Oh yeah, yeah. Wuxia, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the it stands at like this this grandfather branch nexus where a lot of like the classical. Uh, Chinese genres come come from, especially the martial arts genre.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, a lot of this
0: film was, um, I wouldn't say parodied, homaged in in Kill Bill, also. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So please go check those out. Uh, Definitely. Um, highly recommend the three movies that we've talked about today.
0: Of course, you know uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time for the new episode of Genre Equality. We'll be talking about a lot of stuff: uh, Wonder Vision, Space Sweepers, Saint Mod—a a great new art house film out there. ISA will be back with a, a whole new list of enemy recommendations, including Cells at Work, including some complaints about the Promised Neverland season two, <laughs> uh, and, and and lots of other stuff. You know, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of enemy, old enemy that's coming back this season yeah. that we have never had a chance to talk about uh, because the genre is about only three years old. But some of these animes from what I hear like 4 to 5 is old
1: yeah yeah exactly uh, World Trigger is one of them Lock Horizons is yeah. one of them like uh, things that I've loved for so long and never thought that they would get new sequels too mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I would love to kind of just dive in and kind of recommend those you know and then if, if you're keen on watching them you've got a couple of seasons to binge before you you catch up so that's always nice
0: definitely man uh, can't wait for that see you guys next time Till then this is Hitzeer I'm Aisa. goodbye guys
1: ciao